0: Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right, well, this morning, the title of this morning's message is, Are You Part of the Family? Are you part of the family? And if you didn't guess it, I'm talking about the family of God. And as I was thinking of that, a family, you know, I was thinking uh, of my place of business and probably like your place of business where you guys work. Uh, you came into a company and in your company, uh, there are rules and codes of conduct that you are expected to abide by if you come into this place of business, right? You could all think of your workplace, the culture that is there and you know, when you become an employee there, you usually have to go through the employee handbook, and mostly nobody, usually if people don't read it, they just sign it, right, and give it away, and they, you know, depending on how big your handbook is, but there are some codes of conduct in there, and at my place of business as well, there's codes of conduct that not only do I have to, or I'm expected to abide by at my place of business, but also there's even events that are off-site, and specifically because I'm a manager, I'm a, I represent my company, and they want me to abide by certain codes of conduct even outside of my place of business because I represent that company. And, and that's interesting to think about, right? Because most people think, well, I, I leave work and you know I can do what I want in my own life, and we can, but you can still be attached to your company depending on, you know, I guess, what the expectations are of your company. You don't reflect well on your company if you're out there doing something illegal or something of that nature. Either way, there are rules that I, that I need to abide by at my place of employment if I want to continue to be employed there, right? I can be fired if I don't follow the rules. I can be fired if I act inappropriately uh, for whatever reason that's outside of the guidelines of the code of conduct. Uh, and the same is true in the family of God. Hopefully you do that. If you don't, we're going to learn that today. Um, God has his own rules and codes of conduct that allow us to be a part of his family. And it also, he tells us how we are to live as part of his family and how best to represent him to the world that we live in, you know, whether it's your, your family, your, your actual physical family or wherever you are in the world right? He tells us how to best represent him there. And we will see that in today's text. The good thing about this, unlike my job where I can get fired for not following certain rules or codes of conduct, um, and we learned about this last week, so if you weren't here, you missed it, but we can't get fired from the family of God. That should be like, amen. Praise God for that, right? Because All of us, whether you think so or not, you've broken the code of conduct the way God has called you to live, right? Some of us have probably even broken it this morning, if not all of us for some reason or another. But that's the good news. That in God's family, God doesn't kick you out of his family. I believe that our salvation is secure in Christ, as I taught a little bit about that last week. We have freedom in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that, hey, if you sin, you don't suffer the consequences of your sin by being disciplined by the Lord, because that still happens. But you're not going to be kicked out of the family of God, you know, because you lied about something or whatever sin, you, you know, fill in the blank of the sin. If you've trusted Christ for your salvation because of what he has done, then you're in Christ. You have freedom in Christ, so to speak. You're not going to get fired. And so that's the good news. But nevertheless, as I mentioned at the start of this, we still have a code of conduct, a way that we represent God in this world. And so we're going to see that this morning. And actually this morning, for those of you taking notes, we're going to see five different responses to Jesus. And I gather that each and every person that listens this morning is in one of these categories. And the last category is going to be the, the best category, right? We always save the best for last. And, and my prayer this morning is that all those who are listening this morning would find themselves in that last category. And if you're not, obviously, we, as always, we'll give you an opportunity to do that. And so let's look at the text this morning. We're going to pick up in Mark chapter 3, verse 7, and see the various responses through Jesus. And this is a long section, so... I'm not going to read through all you know, 20 some verses at one time. What I'm going to do instead is pull out little chunks of it and, and address the crowds that are, or I guess the, group, address the groups that are being talked about. So, for example, we're going to start in verse 7 and go through verse 10 and look at this first group and how they respond to Jesus. It says this And Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. And a great multitude from Galilee followed and also from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Edumea beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude heard all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because the multitude in order that they might not crowd him for he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him. So here's this first group. you know, I label them the crowds. This big crowd of people, as, as Mark is writing, and they're coming from all areas around where Jesus has been ministering. And they're attracted to Jesus because he's a miracle worker. I mean, who wouldn't be attracted to somebody who's healing every disease? Every type of sickness, as we've been going through Mark, we've seen various times where Jesus heals people. And so, because of that, as the text tells us, many people are coming out to see him. And not only that, the sick are coming as well, because they just want to touch him. They want to be healed by him. And so, again, they're coming out because they want to see a miracle worker. Now, I've mentioned this in previous messages, so I won't spend too much time on this one point, but performing miracles is not why Jesus came to this earth. When he came, and He says over and over in the Gospel of Mark, to proclaim the Gospel. Right? Miracles always follow Jesus' teachings. Miracles demonstrate Jesus' power and His divinity. Thus, it commands us To believe he is God and to follow him. Today now, people come to the Lord in order to be healed and receive something from him as well, right? People want to come to Jesus, go to church, so to speak, to get better. You know, so that their life will be changed for whatever reason. Or or in hopes that God will do some great miracle in their life. You know, like God is a genie. Or God is like a good luck charm, right? If I just have Jesus, then everything's going to go as, you know, as I want it to go. And unfortunately, this is a gross misunderstanding of the gospel and of who Jesus is. The gospel is not like this warm, fuzzy feeling that we get inside. The gospel is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to save us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so these, this group is a little misguided. Again, they're coming to see a miracle worker, they're not coming to be saved from their sins for the most part. And as I said, we talked about that in, in, a, in a larger context and in more detail in previous messages. So I, I don't want to spend too, time of it, too much time there. But again, this first group, they're kind of like the curious group. They just want to see Jesus. They heard about these things that he's doing and that maybe they want to you know, get a little Jesus in their life, so to speak. You may have heard that before. You don't get a little Jesus in your life. So that's the first group. Let's look at the second group, and this is just in verses 11 and 12. It says, And whenever unclean spirits beheld him, they would fall down before and cry out, saying, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to make him known. Now, this is another section that we've talked about in a lot more detail in previous uh, sermons. But this group here, these are the demons, or better yet, this is probably a demon-possessed person who's coming down and falling down before the Lord. That's what it says, right? When they saw Jesus, they fell down and they cried out. Now, they didn't worship Jesus, and I want you to notice, they didn't fall down to worship Jesus. They just fell down to say, you're the son of God. And, and you would think, hey, that's a good thing, right? But what, So why would Jesus here say, don't tell anybody that? Don't tell anybody I'm the son of God, which is one of the you know, things that Jesus wants people to know, to receive him as the son of God. And the reason behind this, as I mentioned already, is we've talked about this in detail, but but I'll mention it here again in previous sermons I mentioned in detail. They're acknowledging Jesus, this is interesting, as a defense mechanism. If I fall down and worship Jesus, then maybe, like that they could fool Jesus, he won't exercise me. He won't cast me out because here I am acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God, and so maybe he'll just move on and leave me be. This is what many commentators believe is going on here. This is one reason why Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody that. You know, because you're not really acknowledging me as Lord and Savior. You're just saying that so that I'll leave you alone. Right? This is a false testimony as well. And this is another reason why Jesus didn't want them to go around saying this. Because you're going to give people the false impression. You're not going to present the gospel correctly as Jesus wants to do, as we'll see as we go through Mark, in revealing who he truly is. And if you think about it, don't people do this in in the world today as well? They acknowledge the Lord in a way as like a defense mechanism. Yeah, I believe in God. So that, you know, hopes you don't say anything more about it. I believe in God. I believe Jesus is God. I used to go to church. I used to do this, or I used to do that. It's a defense mechanism. Right? They don't really want you to get close enough to get in with them and, and present them the gospel. They want you to stay, you know, hey, don't Get into my life. I believe in God, and that's good enough. I don't need to go to church, you know, to believe in God. And so I believe this is, again, what these demons are doing. It's a defense mechanism so that God doesn't cast them out, get into their lives, and transform them, right? They're the ones that say, I believe in God. Just, I mean, the people that use this as a defense mechanism say, I believe in God, so don't bother me. Maybe you've run into people like that as you're talking about church or maybe you are going to actually witness to them and they go, oh, I believe in God. I'm good. I go to church. They want you to stay back. It's a, it's a defense mechanism. They don't want you to get in there and start digging up things in their life and expecting them to change how they live. A lot of people do that. This is not uncommon even today. And maybe that is you in some sense. You're thinking about that. You know, I, I think I do that. Maybe I'm not really in the family of God. I just use it as a defense mechanism so people don't bug me. Let's look at this a third group. And for this group, I want to skip down to verse 22. We're going to, I'm not skipping verses. Don't think, oh, you're the kind of pastor that skips verses you don't want to talk about. No. If you've been to our church, you know we talk about every verse. Um, but I want to go, we're going to come back to the earlier verses. But let's look at verses 22 through 30. These are the religious... Scribes of the day. This is the third group. Let's read their story. So in verse 22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. So they're talking about Jesus, right? That he's demon-possessed, they're saying. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. So Jesus... Calls religious leaders and he's going to explain to them how he's not demon possessed. He says, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided against, and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly, truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin." Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So there's a few different things going on here, especially in that last part, right? The un, you probably heard it if you've been a Christian for any, for any period of time. The unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So here's this third group that is confronted or needs to respond to all that Jesus has been doing and teaching And they say, you know what, this guy's not really casting out demons and and he's not really healing people. Matter of fact, he's he's doing this, or if he is doing it, he's doing it with satanic power. The power that he has doesn't really come from God. That's why Jesus said, well, can Satan cast out Satan? I mean, that seems a little ridiculous. Jesus is telling him, if a house is divided, they can't stand, right? Right? And then Jesus says, no, instead I've come to bind Satan. He says that in verse 26 as an example. I'm binding Satan and then I'm going into his kingdom and I'm plundering everything. I'm transforming people. This is what Jesus is saying he's doing. So this group here is denying the Lord's power and grace displayed in his ministry. Right? They're, again, they're attributing all things to Satan. It's sorcery. It's witchcraft, they're saying in one sense. Basically, they're stripping Jesus of his divine power and denying the Lord's work. They hear what he says and they see what he's doing, yet they conclude that this is demon possession. This isn't the power of God, right? They don't believe he's from God, rather they say he's uh, empowered by the devil, now, this is a, a conclusion levied against Jesus multiple times in the Gospels. I want to just give you a few, a few cross-references that talk about this. This isn't the only time that this happens. In, in John, in particular, chapter 10, verses 19 through to 20, as people were discussing what Jesus had been doing, it says a division occurred, again, among the Jews because of these words, meaning the words that Jesus was speaking. And many of them were saying... He has a demon as, and is insane. Why do you listen to him? So not only were they saying Jesus is crazy and, and demon-possessed, but why would any of you guys even listen to him? This power that he's displaying isn't from God. It's satanic. Earlier in John chapter 7, verse 20, the crowd was responding to Jesus, and they answered and said, You know, and they're responding to where Jesus is saying that people are trying to kill him, which the religious leaders were doing. And they say, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Again, saying you're crazy. You're demon possessed. And finally, one more time in John chapter 8, verses 48 and 52, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And then down in verse 52, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon because of all that Jesus was teaching them. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Like you don't have these, the power to do these things that you're saying to do. And if you do have it, you're demon possessed. You're crazy. Again, all this to say is they were rejecting that Jesus had the power of God to do what He was doing and attributing it to Satan. And this, as it says in verse 30 of our text in Matthew 3, this is the blasphemy of the Spirit. Where they were saying He has an unclean spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a continual denial of Jesus' work being divine, instead saying that it's satanic. That's what it is. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 30 of our text says, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit, because they were saying you're satanic. That's the un, that is the unpardonable sin. And it's not only that, it's, you can't tell in the language here, but it, it's saying they were continuously saying, this is a continual stance that they took. And so Jesus gives them that stern, that's why he gives them this stern warning. He says, if you continually do this, in verses 30 and 31, then you are going to be judged by God's divine power. You are going to be guilty of eternal sin. Like that's the only sin that can't be forgiven is a total rejection of God's power and work that he has done. Every other sin that we've done or ever committed or ever will do, can be forgiven, right? So that should bring comfort to those of you that say, you know what, God won't forgive me for what I've done. Just because you don't forgive yourself, God will forgive you if you confess your sins. These people aren't confessing their sins. It's a continual rejection. And that's a stern warning for those of you today who are, who are hearing this, who may be, may be thinking, you know what, I don't believe in God. A matter of fact, I think Satan or Jesus is crazy, or this, these uh, powers that he did are satanic. You know, like I'm a person of science. I don't believe in such stuff, so to speak. You're de- but you deny the Lord's power, then you too will suffer eternal damnation. That's why Jesus in John eight verse twenty four can say, "Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins." For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But right? if you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God and died for your sins, took the eternal wrath of God for our sins, then you will pay the ultimate price. You will be guilty of eternal sins. And again, that's why he says that in John 8, 24, unless you believe who I say I am, you will die in your sins. That is the only sin that is unforgivable, rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Any other sin can be forgiven. And as I mentioned already, that should be good news for those of you that worry about that. Hey, did I, did I commit the unpardonable sin? Unless you die rejecting Christ, then no, you haven't. I mean, I can think of my past. I did some pretty horrible things. I even spoke against God to people that were witnessing to me. And, And yet, He saved me. And some of you could probably give that same testimony. Maybe you made fun of Christians at one time. Made fun of the church. Made fun of God. Rejected God. Said blasphemous things about God. You know? God can forgive you. That's not the unpardonable sin. Let's look at one more group. Oh, actually, we got two more groups to go, sorry. Let's look at another group. And this is the family of Jesus, the actual biological family of Jesus. And they're mentioned in a number of verses here in this section. So go back to verses 20 and 21. We'll look at that, and then we'll also skip forward to verses 31 through 33. So in verses 20 and 21, Jesus has come back, to his hometown, it again is, is in a home, and look what it says, and he came home, and the multitude gathered again to an extent that they could not eat a meal, so the scene is, the, the house is so full where they're at, I mean, that it's so packed that you can't even eat, they can't, Jesus and his disciples can't even eat a meal, because there's so many people there, why, because again, they want to see Jesus, Here's this great miracle worker. They want to see him. So Jesus has come back home. And verse 21 says, And when his own people heard of this, and this is speaking of his immediate family, when his own people heard of this, they went to take custody of him. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. Jesus' own family here is like, hey, we need to go get Jesus. He's he's." he's like lost his senses. Maybe he's sleep deprived because he's been out in the wilderness preaching the gospel. He hasn't eaten. Maybe he's getting a little delusional, so to speak, thinking that he's God. I mean, how many of us wouldn't think that if, if your brother or sister in your house said, hey, I'm God? <laughs> You're crazy, dude. I, I know who you are. So his family's like, no, we're going to get Jesus. We know who this guy is. He, he's lived with us, even though he's never committed a sin, and he They're like, we need to get him. He's lost his senses. And then go to verses 31 and 32 as well, and you'll see it it picks up. Verses 31 through 33, I'm sorry. So after he's had this uh, discussion with the religious leaders, it says, and his mother and his brothers arrived. So they were going to go get him. Now they've arrived, right? They've arrived, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are looking. They're outside looking for you. So word has come to Jesus through the house. that Hey, your mom and brothers, they're outside. They're looking for you. And what does Jesus say? And a multitude was sitting around him. Excuse me, verse 33. And answering them, he said, You are my mother and my brothers. So, let me say this. He's not disrespecting his family by not going out there, but Jesus here was trying you know, to teach a, uh, something bigger, teach a broader point about being in the family of God. Because it's not that you know, you're born into the family of God, but you, know, you, you need to do the will of God, as, as we'll talk about in a few moments. So he's not disrespecting his mothers and brothers, right? Right? but his mother and brothers think something's wrong with Jesus. He's, he's not right. They don't truly understand who Jesus is, obviously. Right? They don't know, even though his mom's been told when he was young who he was, they haven't fully understood the magnitude of Jesus' ministry. Right? Again, they thought maybe he's been overcome by this, you know, this, this steam of popularity and he thinks he's something that he's not. Again, how many of us wouldn't think that of our brother or sister? Maybe your brother. Maybe you have an older brother who thinks he's God. And you'd be like, dude, you're crazy, right? As I said earlier. And so this is what's going on. And again, they, the thing is they don't actually understand who Jesus is. And this isn't the first time. You remember when Jesus' mom and dad had taken him in Jerusalem, and then they left with the caravan, and then they realized, hey, do you have Jesus? No, don't you have Jesus? No. Where's Jesus. And they go back to the city. And in Luke chapter 2, 46 through 50, it gives us this story. It says this And after three days, they found him in the temple. So they got back to Jerusalem. It took them three days to find Jesus as he was a young, a young child, probably of about 12 years old or so. So they find him at the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, scripture says, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished, right? His parents were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Right? Why have you scared us? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, look at what Jesus says to them, Why is it that you're looking for me? Do you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Again, they didn't truly understand who Jesus was. They didn't understand then and they don't understand now because they're going to take him thinking he's lost his mind. This is why the conversion of Jesus' brother James is a great testimony to his deity because here a relative of Jesus, his brother who grew up with him, eventually bows down after the resurrection and believes that Jesus is who he says he is. Again, think of that testimony. If you actually believed a relative of yours, your brother was God. That's a great and powerful testimony. You see, there's people today not unlike Jesus' family in the sense that they don't truly understand Jesus' mission, right? They think Jesus failed in his ministry on this earth. You know, if Jesus would not have died on the cross, then maybe he could have done something great. His ministry was cut short. He didn't, you know, he didn't achieve what he wanted to do. Some even think Jesus was even delusional. He was just an itinerant preacher out there proclaiming that the world was ending and then it didn't and he died. So he was misled. Again, this is a gross misunderstanding of Jesus' purpose for coming. So then again, there we have four different groups that either misunderstand Jesus or totally rejecting Jesus. And then we have the the final group here, the fifth group. And again, this is the group that I I pray that all of us are in or will be in. And this is the disciples of Jesus. So let's look at two different uh, accounts here in this text. Go back down now to verse 13. I told you I was going to jump around a little bit, but hopefully we're not, you're not too confused by that. In verse 13, verses through 19, we get the, uh, the first list in the Gospel of Mark of Jesus' 12 disciples. And we're going to draw some things out of this. Look at what it says. It says, And when he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To him he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So here we have a list of the 12 men that Jesus chose to use to fulfill his ministry that he was starting. Now let, let's look at what he called them to do because this is what I want to focus on in, in the sense of being part of the family of God. So it says that these men were appointed, meaning they were called to Jesus for a certain task. What was that task? Look at verse 12. He appointed, uh, verse 14, sorry. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him, right? They're to spend time with him. They're called to learn from him about the Lord's plan of salvation, right? As we saw earlier in Mark, a few of them that we were introduced to at the beginning left their profession to spend time with Jesus as his apostles. So this was their calling as, as apostles, Right, they were going to spend time with Jesus. Secondly, it says they, uh, that, they might, that He might send them out to preach. They're called to spend time with Jesus, and they were called to go out and preach salvation. That's what they were preaching, the salvation of God. This is what they were going to learn from Him as they spent time with Him. And then thirdly, verse 15, and to have authority to cast out demons. This is the authority given to the apostles, the 12 men that went with Jesus. Now, these men, they went out and did all these things. They're recorded in the book of Acts, right? They obeyed God's calling on their life. They obeyed his words. They preached the gospel, and they cast out demons. We see them doing this in the the book of Acts. So that's one response for the disciples of Jesus, and we're going to draw some application from that in a moment. So, so now go down to verses 33 and 35 as we conclude the text. Because after Jesus was told that his mother and brothers were outside, and he looks to the crowd of verse 33 again, let's read, and he said, Who are my brother, my mother and my brothers? Who's really in the family of God? Again, he was teaching a larger point. And looking about those who were sitting around him, again, it's his disciples sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, meaning here's my family. Who's this family? Look at verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus, again, is describing who is truly in his family, Because remember, Jesus is not from this world. He is from God. He said, this is who is in the family of God. Whoever does the will of of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Again, Jesus is not disrespecting his family. He's taking this opportunity like he does all the time to teach something greater about salvation. Again, and to whoever does the will of God. Thus, he's demonstrating that obedience to God's calling and living out is the proof of you being in God's family. Right? Last week, we learned about the freedom in Christ that Jesus did it all for us. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, but a result of your salvation is that you live in obedience to God. Kind of like me, I said in the beginning about, I'm an employee of this company, I need to act according to the code of conduct. If I'm truly an employee of that company, same thing here. If you are in the family of God, you will demonstrate it by your obedience to God's calling and living it out. It's not just saying like the demons, Jesus, you're the son of God. That's not enough. It's more to that, but it's living like you believe that Jesus is the son of God. We're told in James that, oh yeah, you know, demons say they believe in God. And they shudder at it, but that's not good enough. You could say one thing and your life is a total contradiction to that statement. And so that's why Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, that's my brother and sister and mother. So today we as followers of Christ, we're called to do those same things. If you're in the family of God, taking from what he told the disciples and here in verses 33 through 35, we are called to obey His calling and follow Him. That's what believers are called throughout the New Testament. Again, we don't have time to go through all the texts that talk about that, but you will find them. We're called to obey His calling and follow Him. We are called to obey His words. Over and over in the New Testament, we're called to obey the Lord's words. We're given commands to follow. We too, like the early apostles, are called to preach the gospel. Not like in a formal setting like I am right here, but with our lives, in our families, in our places of business. When we're out in this world, we're to be representatives of God proclaiming His gospel through our life and through our words. What about casting out demons? Is that a responsibility of believers? You don't have to answer. I'm going to give you the answer. If you're thinking, yes, I'm going to go cast out demons, well, there is no direct order in the New Testament outside of the Gospels where, where, where Christians are called to cast out demons. It was a specific calling for the apostles, not for everyday believers. If you don't believe me, today as your homework, look for anywhere in the New Testament where believers are called to cast out demons. Like, We can find examples of obeying God's Word, obeying His calling and preaching the Gospel, but you are not called to cast out demons. That's not what we're called to do. Unfortunately, there are brothers and sisters of ours who make it their business to go out and do that, and they call sins, you have the demon of adultery. You have the demon of lying. There's no such thing. That's just sin, not a demon. Demons don't need to help us sin. We, we do a good job on our own. Nowhere are we called to cast out demons. This is a specific ministry for the apostles. You will only find it in the Gospels and in the book of Acts where they do it. No other book in the Bible are we called to cast out demons. So that's why I left that one out. If you were thinking, oh, cool, we could cast out demons, you probably really don't want to cast out a demon. If you remember the seven sons of Sceva when they tried to cast out demons, and they said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but we don't know you, and then they attacked them, ripped their clothes off, and they ran away naked. Demons are powerful, and we have no business casting them out. At least let's leave that to the Lord. So sorry for those of you that might have been thinking I could do that. Well, um, maybe you might have that gift. I don't know. But again, we need to go by Scripture, right? Scripture nowhere says that believers are called to do This was specifically for the 12 apostles. So let's close with some application. Which group best describes you guys today, this morning, those of you listening? Are you only seeking Jesus for a miracle like that first group? Are you hiding from Jesus like the demons who said, you're the son of God, stay away now, leave us alone. So maybe you go out proclaiming you're a Christian so that nobody will bother you and they don't know what's really going down on deep down inside of you. Or maybe you deny the work and ministry of Jesus outright. It's you don't believe it. Jesus isn't from God, and maybe that describes you. Or maybe you think Jesus was delusional, like people do. He suffered from you know, you know, from uh, you know thinking he was God, thinking he was this great prophet. You're delusional, or the fifth group, are you part of Jesus' family? And I hope that's where you are. I hope that's where you find yourself. So how do you move to this exclusive group of the family of God if you find yourself in one of those other groups? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. Scripture lays it out. Repent, believe the gospel, and follow Him. It's that simple. Repent of your sins, believe in the work and ministry of Jesus Christ, and follow Him and if, if you do that in sincerity, you will be forgiven and you'll be in the family of God. And the final, the final point of application is, well, how do we live in the family of God? Right? How do we uphold this code of conduct? You know, As I'm a believer, how am I called to live, as we've already seen? And I'll close with these three points. Number one, like the apostles, spend time with God. Right? The apostles were appointed, they might, they might be with him. We as believers need to spend time with God. Well, how do we do that? I mean, I don't see God. He's not somebody I can, like, hang, you know, call on the phone and and talk to. Well, in a sense, yeah, he is. And you can get a hold of him by praying. That's how we spend time with God praying, reading his word, right? You want to hear, I've said this a number of times, you want to hear God's voice, then read God's word out loud. That's how he'll speak to you. If these are God's words, and you believe that it's God, then read it. He speaks to us through his word. Spend time with him in prayer and worship. Things that we talked about at the beginning of this year, we went through the the Christian life, remember? You're like, oh yeah, I remember that kind of... We talked about spending time with God, fellowshipping with God, that's number one. Number two, do the will of God. Once you've spent time with God, you understand who he is and what he wants for you in your life, go out and do it. Live it out. Just like these, these disciples, right? They were with God that they might be with Him. And the third one, that He might send them out to preach. We're called to share the gospel. Share the gospel with our words and actions. Spend time with God, do the will of God, and share the gospel of God with our words and actions. Believe me, if you're doing these in this order, if you're spending time with God, you're going to do the will of God. And if you're doing the will of God, you're going to, Share the gospel with people. If you find yourself lacking in one of those areas, ask yourself, are you doing the one in front of it? It's, it's simple, but yet it's hard, right? We have a lot of distractions in our life. I know that. A lot of, We have our own sinful thoughts and actions that prevent us from doing these things. But this is what God's called us to do. Spend time with him, do his will, and preach the gospel with your life and your actions. Right? This is part of being in the family of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you show us how to be in your family and how to live as a member of your family. And the greatest thing to know, Lord, is is we're not alone, that we have your Holy Spirit who empowers us to do these things as we submit to him. So help us to do this this week, Lord, in our life. Help us to spend time with you to do your will as laid out in Scripture. And when we get the opportunity, let us preach your word to those who do not yet know you. Let us live it out, and when we get the opportunity, let us speak about it. Empower us to do that, Lord. And also, I want to pray, Father God, for those this morning who are not in your family. Maybe that one of these other groups that we talked about kind of describes them, wherever they are in their life. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would convict them that Your Spirit would move them to repent, to believe the Gospel, and to follow You. And I pray that they would take that opportunity to do that this morning. So Lord, again, we thank You for this moment that we've had in Your Word. We pray that You were honored and glorified by it. And I pray that the church was edified by it. And we pray this in Your name, Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N.church. Thanks for listening.